I'm Aaron Hankin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. My name is Heidi, and my question is, what's the story behind the abandoned coffin of Matilda Lawrence? The abandoned coffin of Matilda Lawrence is an urban legend in the making. People are going to be creeping each other out with versions of this story for centuries to come. And you know, it's usually hard to pinpoint the origin of an urban legend, but Heidi Blaylock can say she was there at the beginning of this one. We were just on the trail and the dogs, this is a spot where there's a little bit of depth and the dogs can paddle around and fetch sticks. I'm here with Heidi and her dogs Mookie and Astro on a trail that runs beside Stony Run Creek in a little gully in the woods below Remington Avenue. It was right here on a hot day in July that she discovered it, a coffin abandoned on the bank of the creek. There was no mistaking that it was a coffin, but it was absolutely not a coffin of of our day. It had its own lid that was not attached and the lid was off. Also, there was a plaque that was engraved with a woman's name. The engraving read, Matilda Lorenz died July 26, 1882, aged 18 years, two months, and one day. But the coffin was empty. Heidi thought, is this a prank or a prop from a horror movie? She went home and she put her photos up on her neighborhood listserv. There were, you know, different comments. Someone said, oh, maybe it's from a haunted house, which I thought was, well, yeah. You know, one person said it would make a great planter. And then one person who saw it has a sister who writes for the Baltimore Banner and asked me to get in touch, which I did. And then she started to connect some of the dots. An antique coffin showing up in the woods with a mysterious name attached to it is pretty much the most Nancy Drew thing that has ever happened to me in the 16 years that I've been a journalist. Enter Julie Sharper, Baltimore Banner reporter and our chief mystery investigator this episode. Julie, you did some shoe leather reporting. Once you got this call, you went to the spot by the creek uh, where the coffin was discovered. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you learn? Well, it was down two pretty steep embankments that were eroded from all the heavy summer storms. So I was regretting the fact that I did not wear more practical shoes on this mission to go down there. And I walked down. I'm looking around. It's a gorgeous summer day. The water's shimmering. There's dragonflies flitting about. And all of a sudden, I see this really creepy old wooden casket. So right away, I noticed that there were some... um, circle-like imprints in it as if cups had been placed in it, which is pretty odd for a coffin. Parts of the wood looked very old, but parts of the wood looked newer as well. And I actually got up close and sniffed it because I thought this thing had actually been buried in the ground and was had come loose in a summer storm by heavy rain would it probably would smell like earth like it had been underground for a hundred plus years and it didn't smell like that it smelled like a old house or a church like it smelled like old wood it was interesting also i one of the folks that was there kind of gawking along with you had some antique knowledge and noticed that there were phillips head screws uh, as well as flathead screws in this coffin and uh, he said they weren't invented till 1932 but the date of death on the coffin is decades before that. And you confirm that's true. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So that was some of our, the first definitive proof that not everything in this casket dated from 1882. It doesn't look like this casket was ever buried. 
That would lead me to believe that it was a salesman sample. All right, Julie, who is this guy? So that's Greg Hadam, and he has a uh, antique curio shop in Hamden called Bazaar, and they sell a lot of old materials that are a bit macabre and relating to death, and I'd even thought I'd seen a casket there before. So Greg was one of the very first phone calls I made because I thought, well, maybe this was something that they sold in their shop at some point, and if not, he can probably give me some insight into it. In my judgment, it seems like it's very likely that it could have been in someone's collection as a um, like a funerary antique that they had bought to use as like a coffee table or something. <laughs> they had repaired parts of it with modern stuff to make sure that it was sturdy so they could use it as a piece of furniture. The coffee table aspect would also explain, I think there were some drink mark rings. And then um, here at the shop, we do sell casket plates. And um, it doesn't seem totally inconceivable that someone could have bought a casket plate from us and attached it to their casket that they had in their collection they were using as a coffee table. A lot of times those casket plates, the reason why it might not be in the ground with the remains of this person could be that it was a miss print. So the casket plate never made it onto the casket. That's my theory. I don't know. So then after talking to Greg, it seemed to really uh, be a a nail in the coffin of the theory that there had been an actual body in this casket uh, and that it was some sort of object that had been made and embellished over the years. But still the question remained, who on earth carried it to the banks of Stony Run and left it there? Perhaps someone was moving and couldn't really take it with them. They didn't want to dump it at the city dump or something like that. They just thought, well, I guess if we leave it in the woods, it'll be someone's little mystery. A mystery indeed, right? And at the top of the list of unanswered questions, who is Matilda Lawrence? And is she even a real person? And if so, when did she actually die and where is she now? So uh, one of the fun parts of this story is that I was sharing the developments on Twitter and other folks on Twitter who uh, apparently also harbor dreams of being Nancy Drew started doing their own detective work. And uh, one of them tracked down a woman who is an expert in German-American genealogy. When I received the email, I just started going through church records. So this is Shelley Arnold. She's an archivist and a church member at Zion Lutheran Church in Baltimore City, which is right by City Hall. And uh, Shelley Arnold, uh, she really came up with the goods. Absolutely. Shelley did her research and discovered that there was, in fact, a Matilda Lorenz who changed her last name from Lorenz to Hempel when she married a Wilhelm Hempel in 1889 at that very church at Zion Lutheran. But this Matilda did not die at age 18 years, two months, and one day, as it says on the coffin. This Matilda, Shelley Arnold says, lived until 1954. She reached the ripe old age of 90 years old. Here's a person whose life was very full, and I... Wasn't I didn't want her to be disrespected in any way. And I think that's that's what led me to, to keep on digging and try to find out more. You know, everybody deserves that, that respect. And she certainly, with her children and, and grandchildren, her husband, and it's just something we needed to do. So, so Julie, you know, after you emailed back and forth with uh, Shelley Arnold, I went down there to Zion Church and uh, recorded this conversation we're hearing with her. And I got to tell you, Zion Church is gorgeous. It was built around 1810. It's got all this historical artwork of Hans Schuler. This place was home base for generations of German immigrants uh, who crossed the ocean to come to America. The altar itself was carved to look like a ship. 
that's a crow's nest in a ship because so many immigrants settled here and in this church, one of those being Matilda. Several important events in Matilda's life happened in this room, in this church. Absolutely. Um, Matilda married her husband, Wilhelm Hempel, in 1889. Both of Matilda's children were baptized here. Their names were Matilda and Margarita. Prior to their wedding, though, William was married to Susanna Hempel, and there were three additional children, all of which were baptized in this church, in this room. So I think that's very important, Um, and they, they stayed here. So Shelley Arnold definitely proved that Matilda existed. She lived her life here in Baltimore. She had the same birth date or thereabouts as the plaque on the mystery coffin. But there's still that pesky question of her date of death, right? The coffin says she died at 18. The church record says that she lived into her 90s. So this really bothered Shelley Arnold. So I did make some phone calls and I called several people that were a little more, um, had a little more expertise in burial rights because that's not, and, and found out that during that time period, it wasn't uncommon for people to pre-make, the, if the person was sick, they would pre-make the coffin. So then I looked in some stories that really kind of gave me goosebumps, but in the late 1800s, it wasn't uncommon to bury a person with a rope in their hand and a rope with a bell leading outside of the coffin. And if they were to wake, they could ring the bell. You know, and then I, I talked to a doctor and he said, well, it wasn't uncommon back then, comas, and they were there, but people didn't really know what they were and how to treat them. So, so maybe there's a chance that Matilda Lorenz had a brush with death when she was age 18, two years in, in one day, and, and miraculously recovered. Maybe it wasn't a, a salesman's floor model at all, but perhaps uh, this plaque had been made in the event that she died, and, and yet she recovered and lived for another 70 years. Yeah. Sometimes it turns out when you the more reporting you do, right, Julie, the messier a story gets. Uh, I guess which brings us to the twist of the blue pickup truck. The beat-up teal pickup truck. So uh, just as there is the morning where my sister Mia woke me up with a text message saying, you've got to see what's on next door in my neighborhood, I woke up another day to someone saying, you've got to see what's on Reddit. Somebody has seen the coffin and it's being whisked away in a teal pickup truck. The only clue you got was someone snapped a photo of this teal pickup truck with a coffin poking out from the bed of the truck. And you talked to the woman who took the photo, yeah? I did. I messaged her on Reddit. She got right back to me. Her name is Letitia Getka. She lives in Remington. She was out on a jog. She'd been following the story of the coffin. And she sees this pickup truck coming out of the woods at Wyman Park. And there's a coffin in the back. And she said, oh, no, I bet they got that darn coffin. (laughs) And took some pictures of it and posted it to Reddit. She thinks she saw a guy in the passenger seat who looked like he was in his 40s or 50s. She saw that the truck had Maryland plates, and then it just left the spot, headed north, and uh, it was gone. So once again, I pick my way down this very treacherous two embankments, get down there. Lo and behold, the base of the coffin is gone. The lid is there in pieces. And then on a rock... In Stony Run, there was the most surprising thing of all, which was a bluegrass band playing right there in the water on a summer morning. 
obviously, this coffin has inspired this ongoing neighborhood buzz, uh, including this old-timey string band uh, that was down there improvising a Matilda-themed song uh, right there on the spot. Julie, you, you recorded them on, uh, on, your, on your cell phone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play your recording of them. Her name was Matilda. You don't know Matilda. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Coming up, Julie finds the guy in the blue pickup truck and gets him to explain himself. Well, here's one of the things that kind of gave us away. The coffin's like six and a half feet, and I think it just wouldn't fit in in the back of the truck. Who is this guy? Why did he take the coffin? More in a moment. So this mysterious coffin bandit in the blue pickup truck, he gets spotted by a passerby when he's making off with the coffin, but then he gets away, or so he thinks, until Julie Sharper, detective that she is, follows some leads, tracks him down, and gets him to fess up. My name's Ashley Kidner. Uh, I live in, in Wyman Park, so that's how I happened upon it. Julie Sharper, who is this guy, Ashley Kidner? How'd you find him, and uh, what did he want with the coffin? Turns out that he is a uh, British landscape artist, very charming person, and uh, also my former neighbor, which I discovered when several of our other, my other former neighbors and his current neighbors said, hey, we know who's got that coffin, and it's Ashley Kidner. So we went and we found him. Red-handed. So we are standing outside garage number 31, which is my garage, uh, in the alley behind uh, Beach Avenue, and right now, Matilda's coffin is sitting in all all her glory. (laughs) The coffins by the garage, we've got all the other parts sitting out there. Turns out that Ashley Kidner, like a lot of his neighbors, had wandered by this coffin several times down by its spot beside Stony Run Creek, and he started wondering, how long is this thing going to stay there? We we, kind of surprised that, that... that nobody had come down and removed it, which, I, I don't know, that, that seems extremely Baltimore that a coffin can sit down by the stream for two weeks and nobody removes it. So Ashley decides, if no one else is going to take this thing, I will. I was like, well, this is, this is fast becoming part of Stony Run folklore, so it needs to be taken away and preserved. But and then, you know, then I, I had the idea for, like, yeah, let's, let's make something out of it, so... Make what, though? What's his plan? What does, he, what does he want to do with this coffin? Ashley is an environmental artist. He is a big advocate for protecting and preserving pollinators. So he actually wants to fashion the coffin into a bee habitat. It's kind of the right depth. It's big enough to do what we'd call a bee motel. There would be different materials in there. Wood, some tubes, pine cones. So that would be the plan. The idea behind these kinds of bee houses, or bee motel as he calls it, is to give the bees an extra chance to survive the winter. It's some protection from predators and protection from the elements. Right, and Mr. Kidner has a design that's in the works for this bee motel, but that is not the hard part for him, right? Yep, the hard part, he thinks, is going to be convincing his neighbors to let him put a repurposed coffin in their neighborhood park. And I guess that's the whole thing. We're going to have to see if that will fly with the neighborhood and putting it down in Stony Run. 
I, I don't know. Some people may be freaked out by having a coffin down there. And some people may say, no. Which, you know, is understandable, especially if this coffin did, in fact, at one point house a dead body. <laughs> so Mr. Kidner wants to make sure, of course, that that's not the case. Uh, and he's actually been getting reassurance from a neighbor who says there's no reason to worry. Those handles aren't coffin handles. They're they're furniture handles. Okay, so this is my neighbor, Dave Gadsby. I'm an archaeologist. I specialize in the Mid-Atlantic and the development of cities and towns. So your official title is the neighbor who knows slightly more about what's going on than Ashley. Exactly so, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And is trained to look at material culture and, and, and interpret it. Ashley's neighbor, Dave, not a coffin expert per se, but he does do a pretty good job, though, of poking holes in the theory that this coffin was ever a real coffin. For one thing, the handles that he mentioned, they're placed on the ends of the coffin. Anyone who's ever been to a funeral knows coffins are carried from the sides. I mean, you want to avoid generally having a coffin flopping back and forth as you're carrying it, right? Then there's the issue of these little numbers that you can see stamped into some of the panels on the coffin, like you might see on a piece of factory furniture. And then some of these hinges look like manufactured furniture. The lid is mostly nailed together. The bottom is mostly screwed together, uh, which is kind of unusual. And then there's the shape of the coffin. It's an octagon, but an elongated octagon, which is strange. Typically, older coffins from the 17th, 18th century are sort of a hexagonal shape. Later coffins are rectangular. And this is octagonal. (laughs) Whoever did this was maybe familiar with the general idea of of what a coffin should be shaped like, but wasn't tuned into the, the vernacular grammar of how you make a coffin. So another several strikes there, Julie, against the theory that this coffin was in fact ever a functional coffin. And uh, who knows, it sounds like this thing, whatever it was used for originally, is maybe on its way to enjoying a second life as a, a piece of community art. That's the case. Uh, Ashley has taken it off to his art studio in the Mill Center and is working on creating a bee motel in it. All right. That said, listeners, I think we are ready now to bring this mystery to a close, as much of a close as we can. And to that end, we're going to take a little trip now over to a beautiful old cemetery. This is an 85-acre graveyard where more than 100,000 people have been laid to rest over the past two centuries. We're here at Baltimore Cemetery in East Baltimore, where many of the graves are very old. There's beautiful old angels around, all covered in moss. And we're standing in front of the grave of Matilda Hempel, born Matilda Lorenz. She was born in 1863, which means she would have been about 18 in 1882. But she lived until 1954, and she's buried here next to her husband and his first wife. And uh, this Matilda Lorenz lived for many more years and is resting peacefully here. I have to ask you, after all the detective work you've done, and all the red herrings, and all the blind alleys, and all the twists and turns this story has taken, what does it feel like to finally be uh, standing here at the spot where Matilda is interred and at peace? Well, it feels like there are even more questions now. Was there another Matilda Lorenz who died when she was 18? 
was a, a death plaque made for her and she survived an illness? Was it all a prank? Where did the casket come from? Where had it been in these years? And who decided that Stony Run was a good place to leave it? And I wonder, too, about this Matilda Lorenz Hempel, what she would think about all this. Would she enjoy having a little bit of attention in the afterlife? Or would she be saying, what's all this nonsense that you young people are up to <laughs> tiptoeing around my, my grave on a summer day? There's just so many mysteries we haven't solved yet. You really know how to set up a cliffhanger. <laughs> Well, just like a good uh, Nancy Drew book, you have to just keep reading. It's interesting how your own journalistic efforts have brought about lead after lead from readers, people who see the story, hear about the story, and have one more piece of the puzzle for you. So it does stand to reason that this could be not the end of the story, but just the end of this chapter until we hear from whoever those characters were that had that coffin and what was it and maybe some relatives of Matilda Lorenz slash Hempel who are going to find out about this story and and fill in some more of the blanks about who she was what kind of a life she led one thing that has been such a joy with this story is just seeing how people are all working together and sending emails and tweets and giving calls with with tips and even as we were arriving today I called my dad because I said Dad, this is a German cemetery. Do we have any ancestors buried there? And he said, oh, yeah, there's a whole sharper section. So I feel like it's just, it's the story has been a very small to more moment because you just keep finding connections and ways that people are connected to the different players in this story. Dare we say to be continued? I hope so. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WIPR in partnership with the Baltimore Banner. Got a question of your own? You can put us to work at wypr.org slash curiosity. And uh, where we go next is up to you. And hey, if you like the show, do me a favor and drop a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen on. Just a line or two. Your words really do help other curious listeners find out about the show. Appreciate you. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Hinkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch. And we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture, online at thepeelcenter.org.